0: Hello ora, Shimai, welcome to the Be Better Podcast. This podcast is aimed at helping you go B Corp and beyond. And in this podcast, we connect with other certified B Corporations, aspiring B Corps, and other aligned individuals to help you understand the what, why, and how of B Corp certification.
1: A really warm welcome to Purposey with Good Grow Guy Tim Jones. This is episode one of two that I've recorded with Tim. We focus on business for good and the B Corp movement. So what is the B Corp movement? Well, B stands for benefit. Put simply, it is a for profit corporation that is driven to both mission and profit. There's four thousand of them globally in seventy countries, which is phenomenal and it's growing fast. Enjoy the episode and don't forget to hit subscribe, leave a review and share with a friend. Enjoy. Tim Jones, welcome. Hello. Thanks for having me. You're the CEO and founder of Grow Good. What's your mission? What's your purpose?
0: You make me sound very grown up as a CEO and founder of a company, but hey, I guess I'll take it. Um, so Grow Good is all about really, at its heart, is trying to create as much, I guess, systemic change as we can by working with organizations and individuals within them to become the best versions of themselves in support of better social and environmental outcomes for everyone. So that's at the heart of what we do, um, which is why I guess yeah, one of our taglines is purpose-filled performance, like getting everyone connected to their purpose as an individual and as an organization so that they can max out the amount of good that they can do on their small time on this planet, which is really why we're sort of called Grow Good. It's all about growing some more good in the world.
1: And it's fair to say that you're in more demand now than you were before with your business.
0: Yes, <laughs> um, particularly with the B Corp side of things. So we we offer a range of services. Um, you know, we do. We help people individually find their purpose. We help organisations connect or reconnect to their purpose. We do uh, like organisational culture change. We use a product called the Emotional Culture Deck. So shout out to Jeremy Dean, uh, the inventor of that. We also do sales training for companies that are doing good in the world and, and want to do more good and, you know, scale the impact that they're having and, um, you know, get more revenue to do more good. Literally a year ago, you would struggle to, to to get rid of B Corp Consulting for free. It was quite a hard sell, you know, a lot of outbound uh, outreach to companies to say, hey, you're doing some cool stuff. Have you heard of B Corp? I think you might, you know, you might get something out of it. To now, we're getting maybe three to five inbound inquiries a week. From people who I don't know, you know, it used to be really just sort of people through my network and friends of friends or people that I vaguely knew. Now we're getting just complete strangers knocking on our door, like I say, about three to five times a week. And I always kick off the conversation with, you know, so what do you what do you want to know about B Corp? And, no, I don't need to know anything about B Corp. I just want to get get B Corp certified, and I think you can help me. And that has been a massive turnaround. Whereas, like I say, this time last year it was a lot of conversations around, okay, well, this is what B Corp is, and this is why you might want to do it. And if I had an email yesterday, I went in and gave a presentation to uh, a senior leadership team and their board in 2020. And they emailed me yesterday to say, oh, hey, um, so this B Corp stuff. um, Yeah, we think we want to go now.
1: (laughs) You pitching them to them, basically just saying, how do we do it? We're going to do it.
0: Pretty much. Yeah. And it's been a really, really interesting turnaround. It just yeah, feels like something has definitely changed. And I don't know whether that's COVID um, or whether it's time was always going to come. And it's just taken this long. But yeah, in the last six months, definitely feels like, um, yeah, six to eight months, something's happened. And it's not an
1: easy process to go through, is it?
0: Well, I like to describe it as rigorous, but achievable. Um, A lot of people kind of get scared off doing b corp because they think it's going to be really you know insanely hard and unwieldy we hear quite often we hear particularly smaller businesses and and especially kind of solo or sole traders or sole operators say oh it's 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 not for me any business can give it a go um you just need to have been in operation for more than 12 months some charities can look at certification um but you have to be you have to have like a, a limited company Part to you so i think it's limited company with charitable status is, is what you have to have but we can get into sort of specifics on that one but as, if you have the mindset and the desire and the intention to prove the good that you're doing b corp is very very achievable i guess you know what what we're doing at grow good is just trying to make it even more achievable so yeah people don't be put off giving it a go. It's 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 rigorous and that's that's why it's good. Um it's not just something that you pay your money to and, and they give you a little badge and say yeah welcome you you're now B Corp. You have to go through this this it's a rigorous uh, initial self assessment followed by an audit but it is achievable because over 4000 businesses have done it.
1: And it's very core its purpose and profit or it's it's a purpose beyond profit. So it's businesses who really believe in you know looking after their employees, making the environment better Offsetting the damage they do, going one step further and and actually doing good in the
0: world. Exactly that B Corp was was built around this idea of business balancing, making a profit whilst also having some kind of purpose. What what is the, the contribution? So the B in B Corp stands for benefit. So you know beyond making a profit, what benefit does your organisation have to other stakeholders such as community, employees, the, the planet and the assessment looks at your business or organisation across five areas. So it looks at your governance, which is uh, you know essentially how transparent is the business in terms of its reporting. Are you reporting and measuring KPIs around your social and environmental performance as well as just your financial performance? You know, is it easy to know who owns the business? Um, do you have code of ethics and whistleblower policies and that kind of stuff in place? Then it looks at your um, workers. So how we, how do you treat your workers uh, above and beyond what is kind of state mandated for things like uh, leave entitlement? Um, what are you doing in terms of training and development opportunities? Then there's the community section, which looks at um, a little bit of your supply chain, ironically. So ideally, you want to be sourcing and purchasing locally and from independent suppliers where possible. It looks at your diversity and inclusivity. Um, It looks at your community contributions. So are you volunteering, you know, locally within your community? Are you you making any donations to charity? What have you? Environment looks at your um, essentially inputs and outputs. So, yeah, depending on... um, yeah, like If you're a manufacturing company, you, you would have slightly different questions to say a service-based company, but essentially it's looking at your energy usage, uh, your production, your uh, carbon emissions, so on and so forth. Um, and then the last pillar or last section is your customer model, which is basically what what is it that you're making and who are you selling it to do you have um things like guarantees and warranties in place but also potentially if you can demonstrate that you're making some positive contribution to to your customer base or if you're serving an underserved uh, population you'd get recognition for some some points there as well and on
1: the side of bigger companies and they kind of i've got this vision of them sending someone off to kind of you know like tick the boxes and transform them do you in your consultancy do you demand that actually or you know it's got to be with the owners or the directors of the business it's got to be at the core of the purpose of the business
0: exactly that i've heard of uh, and seen a couple of larger companies who've done exactly that but it's typically you know the sustainability manager or a brand manager or marketing manager who will go and do the assessment in isolation and then um, you know they kind of sell it into the board or the senior, or the rest of the senior leadership team or the CEO and say, hey, look, I think we should do this, and and they kind of do it, and you know that's cool. You, you've met the criteria, but when we work with clients, we we say. Well, first off, we start off with an all-company kickoff session. So we do a 60-minute workshop for the entire company. It's an interactive workshop with, you know, sound and music and and gets people, you know, talking about B Corp. But we introduce the entire company and and we we say everyone in your company needs to get on one of these calls or one of these workshops. And we take people through the history of B Corp, like where did it come from? We talk them through why is B Corp a thing right now? We look at the journey to B Corp certification so that everyone knows what's coming up. Um, And we also then look at the ROI times two, so the return on investment, but also the return on impact. So what are some examples of B Corps that are out there doing some cool stuff? And- by the end of that session, we ask the, the team that we've presented to her and say, look, if you were if, if we if you were in a large company and we were working with you, Mark, we'd say, look, Mark is going to be the king bee, so we have one, or or, or if it's a female, we, call, we typically call them the, the queen bee, um, so you have one person who is in charge for for making sure the assessment is complete and ready to go, but in a small team, we would say, look, at least two to three others. We've had one company, Genora, who we helped. Um, go through their certification late last year they had the entire i think it was like 22 24 of their staff come to every session of the of going through the assessment with them so the more you can bring the the team on the journey the better outcomes you're going to get because a you're going to bring the team on the journey you're going to have massively increased engagement and just excitement from the team um that that they're part of this journey but also the thing that we always find is if you're just working with one person you'll be you know because uh, literally what we do is we go through the assessment line by line, question by question, and just coach people through, I guess, h- how they can most effectively answer, but also um, prod them a little bit. And go, well, have, have you done anything like this? Have you done anything like that? And they'll go, oh yeah, yeah, we did do that. And quite often when we're working with one person, one-on-one, they can't remember everything that the business has done. So quite often um, with, with a sort of a, a hive mentality, someone will go, oh no, hang on a minute. Don't you remember we had that person come in and deliver that training on mental health six months ago? Oh yeah, i completely forgotten about that. So having that team mindset not only helps bake in, you know, the journey, but it, it's just useful when it comes to answering all the questions. Because if you try to do it by yourself, it can become, you know, a bit harder.
1: And I love the fact there's a recertification process. And I know a company going through that at the moment, and they said that actually there's there's sort of more waiting on some of the environmental factors. and and, you know, they were pleased that they'd made some moves on that. But it's great that it's a, a living um Breathing thing, and I think consumers are going to already, but certainly going to in bigger numbers, going to start choosing to do business or buy products from from businesses who are B corps and who are and, and avoid those who aren't.
0: Hundred um, percent. So, you know, I, was, I recently went back to the UK uh, in March of uh, twenty two, and. It was Beecor, so March is B Corp month. So it's a month for all the B Corps just try and make a bit of a you know noise about hey, we're a Beecorp, and, and you know what, what we how we became a B Corp and what it means and, and what have you. And I had lunch with a friend of mine in uh, Covent Garden, and I was a bit early for lunch, and I went for a walk around uh, within probably three or four blocks of the tube station. I found four retail shops with B Corp logos in their windows. So that was uh, Allbirds, uh, Rituals. Uh, ESOP and I can't remember the, the fourth one off the top of my head but there were th- four retail shops with with a B Corp logo in their window and I, I kind of liked a mystery shop um, and I went and said like, oh hey so this, this B thing you've got on the window what, what's all that about and without fail all of the staff in the shops were like yep yeah, this is what B Corp is, this is what it means to us, this is how we did it, it's like okay this is happening. The UK have got over 700 B Corps now so what we're definitely noticing is in certain consumer sectors, so food and beverage and health and beauty. If you're a New Zealand-based brand that is exporting into uh, the UK or Northern Europe, if you're not a B Corp in the very near future, you're you're you know this is no longer aspirational in some consumer sectors. This is going to be table stakes, and I think we're we're not quite there yet in New Zealand, but the the trend is there, and you know, as we're working with a handful of, um, you know, FMCG exporters uh, in New Zealand, you know, they'll be putting their putting their sort of hat into the into the ring in the UK. But it also is going to mean that when they're selling their product here, they're going to have the B Corp logo here and they're going to be using that story here. So I think pretty soon, yeah, some of those um, consumer facing sectors, if you're not a B Corp, this is no longer aspirational.
1: You clearly have a huge passion for, for this. Um, you're a Brett, who's living in New Zealand, you moved here in 2004. What did, changing tact for a bit, but what did your early start of your career look like? What did you, you were in the British Army for a period of time?
0: Yes, I was in the reserves in the UK for about seven years, I think. Um, joining the Army was kind of what I wanted to do when I left school or went to university, almost all my good mates from uni all joined the army as, as uh, regular army officers. And I, d- I didn't make the cut. I passed the selection. It's th- three days of sort of psychometric uh, testing that you do to, to sort of um, get the nod to be able to go to Sandhurst to train as an army officer. And I, I failed that selection. So I went on a bit of a journey, went and lived in Australia for a year, it was fun, you know, sort of bumming around, not doing much, uh, to a degree. But then that gets a bit boring after a while. So I ended up, I got into the world of medical device sales through a mate of mine, who um, I was playing, I played rugby with just before I left to come, or left to go to Australia, and so I ended up, yeah, completely fell into this world of medical device sales, um, where my job was to stand in the corner of an operating theatre, basically, and advise the orthopaedic or neurosurgeon as to how best to place the the implant so yeah, like i say initially i sold hips and knees for a year and then afterwards i spent the, the rest of my career selling spinal instruments and implants so you'd be standing in the operating theater working with a with an orthopedic or neurosurgeon doing a, a spinal procedure and you know w- when it gets to them actually putting in the bit that's going to fix the patient you are the de facto expert because you've been trained on it more than they have and so you'll be like yeah left a bit right a bit or oh, no don't don't cut that bit of bone you want to do this you want to do that which is it's quite scary when you think there's there's people like me standing in the corner of an operating theater telling a you know multimillion dollar a year orthopedic surgeon how to do his job but that's that's true that's scary um It is very scary, um, particularly because I I have a degree in medieval history. Um, Some people think I say medical history, but it's like, no, no, medieval history. So (laughs) definitely no links to to anything medical in my my, uh, degree course. Um, But yeah, for me, it was uh, the the earthquakes we had here in Canterbury, so 2010, 2011, um, that I I had a big existential shakeup. There there were lots of, I guess, things going on in the world of medical devices, which are best summed up in a Netflix documentary called The Bleeding Edge. I think a lot of people are, are a little bit um, you know, uh, aware of how perhaps uh, pharmaceutical companies have been run historically. Um, the medical device world where, like I said, there's an actual physical product being put into a, a patient, that industry is probably 100 times bigger than the pharmaceutical industry, but 1,000 times less well known. So if you imagine in, in any hospital that you've ever been into, everything that you see in that hospital has been sold in by a sales rep like me. You know, every machine, the, the sofas, you know, everything that is in a hospital has been sold in by a salesperson. And, yeah, in the, in the bleeding edge, if, if people get a chance to watch it, it's, it's quite harrowing um, on many levels, but it, it's eye, and equally eye-opening. Essentially, there was large amounts of corruption. Well, And I would hazard a guess there probably still is large amounts of corruption in the medical device world. So globally, you know, surgeons being paid to use products, you know, backhanders, kickbacks, um, To the point where there was also some levels of corruption happening in New Zealand. This would have been about 15 years ago. You know, two orthopedic surgeons based here in Christchurch were taken to, I think, to the High Court uh, for tax evasion, where they basically employed all their family members in their private business so that they could, you know, spread their salary across six people instead of taking it for themselves. Um, There was corruption that I saw happening in the medical insurance world, and all of this stuff after the earthquakes and then 2012 um, my wife and I had our daughter Um, that just led me. I I, I remember to this day I was standing in an uh, operating theater doing some spinal surgery in Ascot hospital in, in central Auckland, and I walked out of that procedure and said, I just can't do this anymore. I'm done. And just keep walking. I, yeah, literally, I, I, I walked home because we, we lived at the time, just, just not far from the hospital. I walked home. I just I came home, <laughs> said to my you know my wife, who just recently had a baby. I'm done. I'm out. She's like, whoa, what do you mean? <laughs> it's like, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. Um, because I, and, and I think this is what we're seeing a lot of people going through with this kind of like the great resignation or the great reset or the great rethink, what people are calling it, different things, you know, the, the more if you have some kind of existential jolt so you know covid um you know potential near-death experience and, and just the, the the i guess induced trauma of, of a pandemic and then you have some time at home to stop and think about actually am i on the right path yeah that's dangerous it, it leads you to some big thinking
1: i think um purpose that you i know you do a lot of work on and you, and you, and you speak to people about um and you said something in one of your talks which is around you know challenging someone what is your purpose and i think the person re- <laughs> replied with um you know look after and feed my children look after my family and yep. and you say, and you retorted with actually that's just survival that's that's not your purpose and and from myself has been grappling with this what is my purpose over the last few years um that you're getting in touch with is my purpose to work with these doctors that you actually grew disdain for and you're trying to get in touch with your
0: purpose totally that and that, and that was the thing I, I got to the point where i was resentful and angry at my customers and you kind of go well that's not <laughs> that's not going to work out very well for either of us in the long run and that, that really for me was that was sort of you know the genesis of, of my journey to to who what i am today and the work that i'm doing i i literally stopped and tried to work out well how have i ended up um, you know who I am and what I'm doing today I can never remember the song but there's that um, f- it's that famous song you know you wake up one day in, in a beautiful house with a beautiful wife and you ask yourself how did I get here it's like th- that song was written clearly for middle-aged guys having their first existential crisis because it's so true like literally how, how did I get here and then you start looking back through your journey and what what's been what was really enlightening is that I kind of went through this journey to try and work out okay well why am I here Am I on the right path? If I'm not on the right path, what even does the right path look like? And I spent about four or five years, like really delving into this topic of purpose. I I didn't even really know it was purpose before. I was just, I literally was like, what is the meaning of life? Because seemingly working for large corporations who just want to make as much money as possible and genuinely don't care about human or um, environmental outcomes, that doesn't seem like something that I want to do for the next 50 years of my Mm. life. And then you kind of go, well, well, what else is there? Because that seems to be what everyone's doing. And so it was kind of through that journey of discovery to try and work out, well, what, what is the meaning of life? I, I kind of got into this thing of purpose. It's like, well, hang on a minute. It's kind of seemingly having some contribution, you know, is is, is, the, is the place to be. And that contribution needs to be meaningful for you
1: it'd be great to avoid that sort of midlife crisis. I think that would be good. And maybe that, you know, possibly won't happen to the next generation who get in touch with it because you dealt with failure, right? So you, you've you been, you know, ex-Army. I mean, I can't imagine, fail, you know, failing to get into uh, the officer training or, you know, being kicked out of that. That must have been really hard on you.
0: Massively, yeah. And it was a really big part of me, you know, because it's like I had no plan B. It's like, you know, just going to join the Army, do do three or six years, get out, probably get a job in the city, you know, old boys network, went to a good school in the UK, happy days. And then it's like, well, now what? So yeah, that was a big part of it. But again, you know, looking back at the general, you know, what, why was that something that I really wanted to do? Well, I think w- when you look at like, it's, it's sometimes called the golden thread. So if you look back through your life, so, so p- part of trying to work out, well, who am I today and who could I be or who should I be is to look for the themes that are recurrent through your life. And clearly i mean in in many ways so volunteering to serve your country to defend it is one of the biggest acts of purpose and potentially sacrifice that you could offer yourself as t- typically archetypically as a male the the ideal of sacrifice and putting yourself on the line for the tribe is military service of some description whereas archetypically you'd i'd, I'd argue for the female the sacrifice was childbirth because you know, historically, only until very recently, and, and even recently, even now, you know, childbirth is a dangerous um, experience, potentially, if it goes if it goes catastrophically wrong. So the sacrifice that the archetypical male versus female makes, what well, one is the warrior, I'm going to serve and defend the, the tribe and the community, and the female, it's, it's I'm going to make the next generation. And so I think it's not uncommon, I think, and particularly a lot of young males, you know, in their pre-20s, when your prefrontal cortex isn't actually on board yet, and you can't make great decisions joining the army is a great place for a young young bloke to go to because it's like they feed me they clothe me and they tell me what to do fantastic um so yeah that that failure was massive that sat with me for many years it was kind of like what why why wasn't i good enough but then the flip side I, i kind of look back and go well would i really have wanted to go to afghanistan for 10 years not really um talking to a lot of my mates who did get into the army they were like mate you didn't miss anything like it was shit (laughs) you know it's like we really i would not like to you know i would not want to go back and then you know on the flip side and ended up in new zealand i've got a beautiful wife a beautiful daughter i've got a great life here so i i almost have some element of belief in fatalism or you know predestiny that well that happened for a reason you know I, i could have been blown up in some ied explosion in helmland province 10 years ago 20 years ago so when you have your heart set on a path that you think is the path that is for you and you don't get it that that was i think that was part of the kind of the existential shock but i was too young to know how to actually utilize it and use it as a springboard forward but yeah when i had the second i guess existential crisis um with the earthquakes and birth of a child it was like okay it kind of it's it's all part of a yeah it's all part of something
1: we haven't met in person um i've said to you before the Recording that I actually have been sort of dwelling, or you know, thinking about, pondering, contacting you for at least a couple of years. You exude yep. huge amounts of confidence, and I love the description of you on the on your uh, website, which is um uh, that someone said uh, you have the, uh, the thinking ability of Russell Brand, the energy of Tony Robbins, and the humour of Greg Davies. Are are you <laughs> fundamentally a really confident? out there extroverted person or what is the real tim jones
0: that's a great question
1: thank you for listening to episode one of two with the good grow guy tim jones as you've heard episode very much focused on business for good and the b court movement the next episode focuses on purpose tim has some amazing stuff to say about purpose and finding your purpose we haven't met in person um i've said to you before the Recording that I actually have been sort of dwelling or you know thinking about pondering contacting you for at least a couple of years. You exude yep. huge amounts of confidence, and I love the description of you on the on your uh, website, which is um, uh, that someone said uh, you have the, uh, the thinking ability of Russell Brand, the energy of Tony Robbins, and the humour of Greg Davies. Are are you <laughs> fundamentally a really confident? out there extroverted person or what is the real Tim Jones
0: that's a great question the real slim shady um i think growing up i, I think that this i think that the, the version of me now is not who i've always been i i went to you know a, a pretty strict private school in england where there wasn't really much realm for artistic creation and you know you really being you you know you kind of just you go along yes sir no sir you know, you, you stand in line, you, you kind of do what you're told. And I, I do remember, I mean, getting into sales, I spent, you know, 10 years in a sales role. So clearly I'm not a complete introvert. Um, I, I'd say if anything, I was probably an ambivert, which is, you know, where you, you're comfortable with quiet, you're comfortable, um, you know, with silence, you're comfortable with your own energy, but equally, you don't mind uh, being at an extrovert position where you might have to talk or you might be surrounded by people so i'd say i'm probably actually an ambivert rather than either either you know either extreme but i do remember when i when i was going through the thought process where i want to get out of medical i started writing down some things like you know what what is it that i feel like i'm missing or what is it that i feel like i want more of and creativity and being being more me was definitely something that I, i recall and I guess the, who I am today, I was thinking about this just the other night. I remember you know, agonizing over writing my first article on LinkedIn. And this would have been 2016 or 2015. When I first went out on my own, it's like, I should probably start getting some content out there. And I remember being very reticent about even post, like, posting something on LinkedIn back in 2015, 2016, because it's kind of like, I'm putting me out there. And what if people don't like me? So I think, I, I'm, the version of me now is massively more energetic and outgoing when I need to be, because I guess, you know, a large part of what the, the work I deliver is, is, is training events. You know, I still love live, which tra- is like the Tony Robbins part of me. I love a room full of people. We get the music going, we get them thinking, we get them, you know, asking deep questions. We have some great outcomes. So yeah, definitely have that. But equally, I am I love going for a walk by myself in the morning, listening to a podcast <laughs> and not talking to anyone. So yeah but I think I feel I feel more at home as me than I ever have done and I think partly that was the purpose journey that I went through I think partly um you know you get I'm 43 turning 44 in July I think as you just get older you just realize you know stuff it they can just take me as I come Yeah um, <laughs> I think you lose some of some of that um you know from from a younger age where you are more concerned about what people think about you and do you still get nervous when you go on stage like you do a lot of that sort of talking To be honest, not really. Um, I just love it. I I love the energy. If I have a little poster right in front of me, uh, above my cameras and TV screens here, where it just says, you know, bring the energy. And it's got little clips and and photos of me delivering training events. I I just love it. I I really thrive on the... you know, most of the, when we're doing training, the consulting is pretty formulaic. Like you, you, there's a structure that you kind of pretty much have to follow. But I try and inject a little bit of humor and, you know, try and make it uh, going through a fairly rigorous audit process as humorous and, and you know, enlightening as, as possible. But when it comes to training events, I I have a, a, you know, a deck of slides that I use as my, um, well, I, I use them like, you know, they, they have lots of imagery on them. So it's trying to get people connecting to an idea and what have you. I love that when you get into a live event and people ask a question and you're like, hey, we weren't going to go down this route today, but is everyone cool if we go on a 10-minute detour and we can talk about this? That's what I I just love, that kind of live energy. And and I don't really get nervous at all anymore. I think when I first started, I used to be really nervous. Have I got everything? Have I got my laser pointer? Have I got my my pens? You know, is the room set up okay? I get nervous if I'm doing a live event about the room setup and making sure that, you know, everything's, you know, does the AV work? But in terms of delivering the content, I think I'm... I'm so comfortable with the content because it's the content that I've spent now probably 10 years thinking and refining.
1: And focusing a bit on the fact that you're a British-born, grew up in the, in the UK, uh, as you said before, you're sort of half Welsh, half English, someone who has done the opposite um, and kind of walked in a similar journey as you, but in an opposite fashion in another hemisphere. Yeah. I actually, do you know I, found, um, I actually found coming home to New Zealand after a long stretch in the UK quite challenging. I think it was really around identity what, how, how important is um, where you're from in terms of your identity?
0: I think it's massive, and, and I think I think this is one of the one of the big contributors contributors to the sort of the, the general modern mental health malaise. I think at the core of it, purpose is, is is something that's not mentioned when we talk about mental health crisis. It's kind of like you know you just need to either go for a walk, you know, hang out with your mates. It's all going to be okay. You know, I'm, I'm being flippant to a degree. I think, I think the core part of why there's such a big mental health crisis is this lack of meaning that most of us get through the work that we do. But a big part of that purpose journey is identity. Like, who, who are you? And um, there's a couple of really good expressions on that. Well, this, is, this is a bit of a tongue twister. So I can't remember who coined it, but it's basically, I am not who I think I am. I am not who I think you think I am. I am what you think I think I am. <laughs> so... Most of us are living in a world where we're so predisposed as to what other people think about us that we kind of create a different identity. This is where you get some really cool stuff. So the um, the word persona is, uh, I believe it comes from Greek, um, which means mask. So most of us have a persona, which is a mask that we put on to let people think that we are who we want them to think who we are. So I think that's, that's a big part of it. And again, that ties massively into the mental health crisis. So like I say, a big part of the... To to sort of summarize the purpose journey, you need to know who am I today and why am I who I am today? And to do that, you need to go back and work out what has led you to be who you are today. And this is why, you know, people queue up for days to go and buy tickets for the Star Wars movie or the Hobbit movie or the Harry Potter movies, because the journey of self exploration is the journey that we all need to go on, which which is the purpose journey. Who am I? Why am I who I am? And what has led me to be who I am today? So actually going back over your life history and looking at all those critical moments and all those influences that have led you to be who you are today. Because as an adult, about, you know, 95% of your day-to-day decision-making is created, is, is run by your subconscious. So it is subconscious. You, know, you do not know that you're doing it. But that thinking or that operating system is put into you through the developmental years of between zero and seven. So unless you've actually challenged who you are and how you think about everything, you are running on a very old operating system, which is not potentially serving you. Some people have a great run through and and they are actually very, you know, um, pure to who they were born or, or, you know, the the potential that they had at at their birth. One of my favorite uh, words is genius. So if I said to you, Mark, name me someone who you would consider to have been a genius, who would you, who, what what sort of character or name there's typically a a name that comes up when I ask people to name me someone who you would say was a genius Steve Jobs Steve Jobs okay I like it a lot of time we get Einstein or we get like Stephen Hawking you know like genius the word genius though doesn't actually mean a clever person the root word for genius is from Latin and it means spirit and this is kind of like the key one of the key parts of the purpose journey is you were born as Mark on a certain day, at a certain time, of all of time, and the chances of you being born as you, exactly as you, are so infinitesimally small that you should not actually exist. So why why were you born as you right here, right now? And that version of you that was born has then been corrupted as you've grown up, the school you went to, you know, your parents' beliefs and ideals, the stuff that they've inherited from their parents and so on and so forth. You, you had probably, well, you everyone has, uh, you would have had, you know, sliding door moments throughout your life. Well, do I go to university, not university? Which university? Do I take this job? Do I take that job? All of that has influenced you to be who you are today. So actually working out who you are and and what has constructed you is massive. And again, most people don't want to do that. Because it's hard, and you have to go and fight some demons, and you have to go and challenge everything that you hold to be true. You need to go and challenge, and n- not many people want to do that. So, there's, I think, that's a big part of it. The other part of it of identity. Um, so, again, in front of me here, I have a big Welsh dragon flag because you know I'm a Jones. Let's face it, and you know it's about as Welsh as you can get. I think the, the other part that in the sort of Western democratized world that we're really bad at connecting to is our ancestry and working out, you know, wh- wh- where have we actually come from, and. What I love about the the Welsh flag, so for those of you who don't know what the Welsh flag is, it's got a green bottom half, a white top half with a big red dragon in the middle of it. It's very recognisable. Now, the red dragon standard or flag definitely came from a guy called Uther Pendragon, who was a Romano-British warlord in maybe somewhere around the 400 to 500s AD. And if King Arthur did exist, it's most likely that Uther was either his dad or an uncle or very close blood uh, relative. Now, Uther Pendragon got the Red Dragon flag from uh, a Roman legion, uh, a cavalry legion that was active in Britain called the Draco Legion. And the Draco Legion got the Red Dragon battle standard from Dacia, which is basically pre sort of civilization uh, Romania. And we don't know where or why the Dacians got the Red Dragon from. So I, I have that there because I have a connection that goes back Potentially, I mean, who knows, tens of thousands of years to some person in Dacia who decided to put a red dragon on a piece of rock or something or a piece of cloth. And I think it's important to think about well, where have I come from? But also, what, am, am I upholding the virtues of every person that has looked at that red dragon standard, who's used that as a call to action of something throughout history? And, and again, I think, but probably it's, it's the medieval history degree coming out with me as well. It's the geeky stuff. You know, we don't, a lot of people just don't even know where they come from. Like you, you might know where Mum and Dad came from, or you might know Granddad or grandma or great grandparents. I know actually, I got really geek out on this one. So, um, a few years back, it was again just after our daughter was born. I went through um, on Ancestry. dot because my mum had mentioned a couple of things, and I was like, "Oh yeah, let's let's you know, we'll, we'll pay for an account for for a bit, and we'll we'll really get stuck into it." And my mum's mum's maiden name was Halsall, H A L S A L L, and researching her line, we got back to. um the Norman conquest, so 1066, the little town uh, that is now called Horsall, before it was called Horsall, had a, a Saxon name. So Horsall is a Norman name. And the gentleman who named it Horsall was Gillane de Horsall, who was a Norman knight who fought at the Battle of Hastings. And as part of his, uh, you know, uh, I guess, um, show fee or attendance fee, you know, he was gifted this Saxon village. So I have a direct ancestor, Gillane de Horsall. I studied the Norman Conquest for, uh, the, in fact, the Battle of Hastings, 1066, for my dissertation. And I had no idea that I had an ancestor who fought at that battle. And you just kind of go, well, that's interesting. You know, was something, you know, why was, and, and, and this is a long-winded way of getting to the second part of, or, or, or the third part of the purpose journey. So part one is, who am I? Do I like who I am? And why am I who I am? Go back, check out through you know, recent history, your own history and, and some of your, you know, as far back as you can in, in your family's history to see for the the, the, cl- the clues and, and, and traces for, for what's led you to be where you are today. But the, the second part of it, sorry, the third part of it is, and this is a line from Carl Jung, you know, w- what is curiosity and why do we have curiosity? Because in, in many ways, being curious is quite an evolutionary, interesting concept. You know, what's over the edge of this cliff? Oh no, it's thin air. I've just fallen to my death. Versus or what happens if I rub these two sticks together? Oh, it's created fire. That's quite useful. So, you know, curiosity is, is, a, is a double-edged sword for humanity. But Carl Jung described curiosity as it being that the things that you are curious about are is the potential best version of you calling itself to the future. And... I just think like that's such a beautiful way of thinking about it, and that's the third part of purpose. Is well, what are the things that you're curious about? Like, what's calling you forward? What is it the thing? What is what is taking your curiosity? Because we don't really know how curiosity works. Yeah. So what? Why? Why? Why is it there? So if, yeah, if you can understand who you are today, what's created your identity? Check in on what's led you to be there. And this is, you know, why we have the the, the um, you know, it's like it's the phoenix, you know, burning burning the parts of you that no longer serve you off to leave space for this this future version of you, this curious this curiosity that you can bring in to fill that gap, and that's why. You know, the creation myth stories uh, and and the stories of all the main um, religions across time have some element of a moon god and a sun god that chase each other and kill each other on a a 12-hour basis. Every 12 hours, you get the opportunity to die and be reborn. And that is the underlying story in, in all major religions, is this idea of a death and a rebirth. And that's what we need to be doing. But it's hard, and people don't do it.
1: I was just sitting here thinking, and I know you've got the Welsh flag right in front of you, um, and I was thinking about the, the, the what you just said then, and I remember, you know, a Kiwi abroad in the UK, and I would dial up my uh, Kiwiness, uh, and I would grapple on to Kiwi things. I mean, even to the point where I'd meet people in a, ca- a cafe called Flat White, just because that tickled me. And they had a board out the front that said, yeah, nah, which is... Totally confusing to Brits, which I love. But then I, I find myself back in New Zealand, and I dial up my Britishness, and I, I let people think I'm British and don't correct them. That kind of, um, and I've just kind of got comfortable with the fact that that's just the yep. mixed up identity I quite like. And actually, my heritage, my heritage is from that as well. So, um, in terms of like going back to um, a little bit about identity, and you know, you, you're, you're a ex army, rugby playing, big strapping lad lots of confidence um but what's your view on like masculinity and you know like how, how do you feel as a man like do you put much on your masculinity do you as it evolved as over time
0: that's a great question you know i i so where i live I, I live with my wife and my daughter and my mother-in-law lives with us in a like a granny flat extension and Typically, when we have a family event, we add into that mix my mum and my sister-in-law. So I swim in a pool of oestrogen on a daily basis. So I actually kind of feel like yeah, I'm six foot four, 120 kilos, former rugby player, been in the army, but I actually I don't feel like I'm a a very manly man in many ways. You know, I'm pretty crap at fixing things. I've got some bookshelves behind me. I got my mate Hayden to put those up because. If I put them up, they'd have fallen down straight away. But again, it, I guess you could also then go, well, what is masculinity? And I, I do like to look back historically and archetypically. I think, in general, there are generally roles that men are better suited to because of the nature of of what we are and, and how we turn up. On the, you know, in general, vast, vast, vast generalizations. But in general, men are typically better at tinkering with things. Um, they're less empathetic, uh, you know, whereas in general. Uh, females care more about others, they care more about human things, and they have higher empathy, because in general, historically, for the last however many hundreds of thousands of years we've been, you know, making kids, it's generally the female that is designed to look after the kids. So, yeah, it is interesting, you know, I, I tend to try and steer away from arguments around toxic masculinity and all this kind of stuff, you know, it just comes back to, to you being comfortable with who you are, yeah. you know, and, and but genuinely being who you are. But I think, um, yeah, it, it is an interesting global landscape that we're in around the whole concept of masculinity. But I don't think, I, I don't, yeah, I don't know, it's, it's hard. I, I don't think guys should be ashamed to be guys and be be masculine. But with, with virtue underneath it, you know, be, be a good man. Uh, don't just be a man or a bloke, you know. I think there are there are many, but you know, equally there are stereotypes on both sides that people can fall into. But I think in general, if you can, if you can be a strong masculine figure, you know, we, there's um oh, I can't remember the, the, the guy's name now. He wrote um it's a, a book called uh, I think it's King Warrior. Um, they're kind of like four masculine archetypes: It's King, Warrior, Magician. I can't remember them off the top of my head. I'll I'll send it through. Um I'll Google it and send you the links for it.
1: Yeah, I'll put it in the notes.
0: He talks he talks about like the four if if you look at the masculine archetype, there's kind of like four um generally, historically speaking, there are four sort of masculine archetypes. And yeah, I, I think I think we 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 are at risk of throwing out some of these archetypical ideals that have been here for thousands of years, that have actually gone us quite a long way. Um yeah, it's it's a really tricky one um but i think that we there there are risks of of masculinity this whole toxic masculinity you know it just it kind of feels like it's thrown out there really really quickly without anyone actually kind of you know what well, can we actually get a definition of it yeah it's it's a really interesting one but i uh, for me understand who you are understand where you've come from connect to some real you know proper values and virtues um you know, I, I think there's, there's a massive role for, for men and, and for for better men, male role models, you know, actually stepping up and, and doing what, we, what we're good at doing.
1: And just as we move towards wrapping up, just focusing a bit on, your, you know, you're effectively running your own business. You've got a small team. Yep. You've you'd admitted to me that you, you like working from home because you get easily distracted by other human beings. What's your daily discipline? How do you get stuff done? And how do you stay disciplined? It's
0: like I say, I... I I love getting out for a walk in the morning, take the dog for a walk, listen to a podcast. Um, that just gets my brain flowing, you know, gets get, get my body moving, get some vitamin D, get to look at some nice views out here from, I live in Holswell, in Christchurch, if anyone else uh, knows where that is. But yeah, yeah get, there's a couple of nice little reserves. I can go for a walk. Um, and then I get back, um, depending on on the schedule like sometimes i'll drop my daughter at school um so i typically don't get i I don't normally book any meetings before 10 a.m because if i am going to drop but my daughter only goes to school up the road so it's like a a five ten minute walk but i'll sometimes drop her off and then sort of go for my walk so i might not be back until half nine quarter to ten so then pretty much 10 o'clock is when i try and hit my day and I think, you know, with just on, as I was saying before, you know, I was recording it, my own podcast episode before this and talking to um, one of our clients, Jamie. When you have a deep sense of purpose, it's actually really easy to get stuff done. And the risk is you just want to keep doing so much stuff that you stop, you you know, you stop to stop um, and, and you just kind of keep going. So I find generally getting stuff done pretty good. I use a lot of sort of high energy dance music on my little speaker next to me just to, get that repetitive kind of rhythmic music going in the background the challenge i have for me is there are so many things that i want to do there are so many little projects that i want to do there are so many you know there's just so much to do that it actually just comes down for me to prioritizing what i what i can do today that's where i'm still i'm still working on that one and that's why i'm starting to build a team around me of people that have that skill and that can say hey no tim actually can you just stop doing that and can you go and and i'm I'm, you know i'm never short of an idea i'm great at coming up with new ideas the execution is is the part that i'm not so good at but i think that's what makes me a good coach and trainer is that i can kind of fill that room and we can bring the energy but if you actually yeah sit me down and and ask me to complete a project not so good at that but again that's why i'm trying to build a team around me and for those
1: listening there's so much that you guys offer and you offer um podcast Tell us about that. Tell us about if you're a business leader and you're sitting there thinking, I want a piece of Tim's energy, or I want to be a B Corp. Like how do, how do people
0: find you? Yeah. So we've got a podcast. It's called the Be Better Podcast. So we, it's been interesting because we, because we do offer a range of services, but we've actually, I guess, um, solidified it a bit where essentially pretty, you know, from now on, if you want to work with us, we start with B Corp. So that's kind of like our entry level. So if anyone wants to is, is curious about B Corp, wants to learn a bit more, we've got tons of free resources on the website. Um, go and check out the podcast. Um, we've got a YouTube channel where there's some videos up, up there explaining kind of what B Corp is. Um, and we're just about to start tidying that up and get getting that a bit more of a better order so it's easier to sort of find some of that content. In general, where, where we're starting with most companies now is let's start with B Corp. Let's, let's get a benchmark of the good that you are doing. Um, let's understand where you could maybe start doing a bit more good. And then we can look at the rest of it. So let's 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 take a snapshot of what you're doing. Then we can talk about purpose stuff. Let's go deeper on your purpose. Then we can talk about some sales training, maybe to help you scale, get more revenue in, so that you can do more purpose. So that's typically where we start. We're, obviously, we're, we're open to people if they just want to do some purpose work with us or or whatever else. But yeah, we, we're generally starting with the B Corp stuff, and that's that's made our business a lot easier to manage by just focusing on on sort of the one message and and the one offer to the market in general. So, um, but yeah, happy to connect on LinkedIn. That's pretty much where I, I spend, um, my social media time
1: and just really quick here, a couple of quick fire questions. Um, if you don't mind,
0: what are you reading? What are you reading? What are you listening to? Oh, my word. What am I not reading? I've got a mate of mine, Carl Davidson. He probably twice a week. He sends me an, oh, you need to buy this book. And I'm like, dude, I still haven't bought the one that you sent me two years <laughs> ago because you've sent me 50 others. Um. At the minute, I I actually don't have a book open. I'm really just getting into podcasts at the minute. I just find it, yeah, like really easy to to get information uh, whilst I'm walking. I guess it's like trying to double up that time. Um, A couple of the podcasts that um, I've been listening into, there's a good one by a guy called Scott Barry Kaufman called The Psychology Podcast. Um, he's got some, he, he, yeah, he's a clinical psychologist and, and he, um, interviews a whole lot of other sort of psychologists and other sort of brain experts to try and um, understand what's, what's going on. I've been listening to, yeah, quite a few kind of Jungian ones. Um, there's one, uh, what's it called? Uh, well, yeah, the, uh, Jung, Jungian-thology, it's a terrible name to say. Jungian Anthology podcast. So they they um, post all these interviews from quite often from, from many years ago, like original cassette recordings of uh, Jungian type people talking stuff. Um, that's a good one. Guilty pleasures would be Joe Rogan. I, 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 you know, we're not supposed to talk about Joe Rogan hashtag fake news. I don't know, but to be honest, I think a lot of people that that lambasted him. It's like, well, have you actually listened to any of his episodes? No. Okay. Right. We'll go back and listen to all his episodes, and then work out if he's actually a racist because I, I i don't think he is yeah um but he interviews a lot of you know different esoteric people yeah brilliant
1: um and yeah we're both on anchor so um effectively we're on spotify so uh, there you go
0: yeah. <laughs> check, check us out. out yeah yeah i think well, i mean I, I should say as well that the big thing book wise at the minute is i'm actually i've started writing a book so i've laid it out i've got the chapters laid out so my my main focus at the minute is is actually to create a book. The working title is Get Purpose at Work, looking at organizational purpose in B Corp and, and you know what is it all about. So at the minute, that's my main focus, is actually trying to birth my own book rather than read it. I've got another little note in front of me that says create, and it's got consume um, stri- sort of striped out or struck out. So it's like do more creation, less consumption of other people's content. Yeah.
1: Fantastic conversation. We started talking about B Corp and I'm as passionate uh, as you about that um not not quite an accident yet but um I, you know absolutely believe in in uh, business beyond profit so congratulations on the work that you're doing um really good conversation thanks thanks for sharing your
0: story no worries thanks for the opportunity and that's a wrap thank you so much for tuning in i hope you found it interesting informative and inspirational I'd love to know where you are on your b journey. And if you have any specific questions or people that you'd like me to interview to help you on that journey, please do let me know. Feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn, Facebook and YouTube for other content that you might like also. And finally, if you think that we might be able to do some epic work together, you can check out how that can happen through my website at www.growgood.co. Until next time, be better. Thank <music> you.